Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Soccer Show Weekend Review! Big Ange is already leaving Tottenham fans delighted as he turned up on Saturday and said, Lads, it's Man United. Man City beat Newcastle in the big sports washing battle and Liverpool beat Bournemouth despite being rattled. On Sunday, we saw Chelsea get hammered while Everton left their fans anything but enamoured. Harry Kane kicked off the Bundesliga life with a goal and an assist while Serie A kicked off without too many twists. And the League's Cup final took place lest we forget that Leo Messi has now triumphed in the home of bachelorettes. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today is someone who's much more chill about Man United than Roy Keane is, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hey, man. I'm loving it. It's great. Yay. This is me being really calm and laid back and not at all questioning the entire makeup of the squad or everything that's happening with the club that I support. It's great. It's a good time. Life is good, Taylor. Life is good. And of course. I'll, I'll let the listener for the benefit. While I go through my intro, I don't know what to do with my hands, Ricky Bobby style. <laughs> so I waved them all around, and Taylor was mimicking me do that while well, I. Uh... It was when you started doing like the Italian flourishes as well mm. that I was really, really enjoying it. Uh, you were selling, you were conducting. Maybe there's an orchestra pit, and we just don't know how many people are waiting for your cues. Yeah, I, I, it was it was conducting, I suppose. Now I'm embarrassed, and I'll never do it again. You've ruined it, Taylor. You've ruined everything. <laughs> Joining us also, Taylor, a man who loves to see goal. Keeper on goalkeeper action in penalty shootouts. It's our League's Cup aficionado, Joe Lowry. Hello. Who doesn't love that? I feel like this past month has been just the peak time for goalkeepers. We got shootouts <laughs> in the Women's World Cup. We got Alyssa Nair taken and scoring a penalty kick, even though that shootout didn't go the U.S.'s way. We've got Drake Callender like, taking and banging in a penalty for Miami against Nashville in the League's Cup final. It's been a good month for goalkeepers, right? It has indeed. It's also been a good month for Graham Ruthven because it's a month in the year. Hello, Graham. <laughs> Hi, Ryan Bailey. Did we all enjoy our nice break after the end of the the Women's World Cup before yeah. getting stuck into God. the so good into the new season? So good, yeah. Graham. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so I took. I had a good 15 minutes, yeah, there resting yeah. over the weekend. I mean, people yeah. are saying there's too much football. That's that's what I've heard. My, my mother-in-law was here uh, and she said, are you excited for the tournament to be done? Do you get a nice little break? And I got to say, uh, a nice little break in that I have three games that I haven't yet watched from this weekend yeah. and two more that I still need to watch from today. So, yeah, yeah I, I'll take it like 20 minutes. It'll be good. So there was a good tennis match on last night between Djokovic and Alcaraz at the Cincinnati Masters. And I'm on Twitter at the same time. I'm second screening it. And all of a sudden I'm getting tweets through from MLS matches. I'm like, how is the how is there MLS matches happening at this at, at the same time? It's a Sunday night. I mean, and they were still going on by the time I went to bed at t at two a.m. So I can't even sleep now without missing some form of football that I have to be across. At the risk of incurring Taylor's wrath, Graham, you mentioned you and tweeting, and I remember seeing a tweet from you. I think it was yesterday about long bathroom breaks in the tennis. Yes. Can you say like twelve seconds on that because I was very confused. Djokovic taking too long to pee. There you go. Shameful. <laughs> how did how did that make it even more confusing? Graham, that in context made me have additional questions. Is no, that I like, get it. is there supposed to be it. a minimum like or a maximum break? Did he go over, Graham? Were you annoyed by the the shots of George Costanza eating an ice cream sundae as they didn't have anything else to film? Isn't it kind of like tennis poop housery if you take a long yes, break, right? See, the thing is, Literally? I could explain hey. more about this. This is a, this is a tennis hey. podcast in its own yeah, right. Yeah, 12 um, seconds is up. Really sorry. <laughs> basically, <laughs> at the end of the set, you're allowed to take a, an extended break and players... Um, take the pee metaphorically <laughs> by taking by taking too long and basically it's like eight or ten minutes you're allowed to take and that is just that's just too long in between sets so do you want yeah, someone that's what like, that was about joe do you want someone next to him at the urinal with a stopwatch graham like yeah. how, how do you want this to play out like do, do we need bathroom monitors for tennis 
I don't think I've ever taken eight to ten minutes in the bathroom. And if I have, I'm in serious trouble. I'm not coming out to play a tennis match afterwards. I I question your hydration, sir. I I, I did take eight to ten minutes in the bathroom. That was my break between the World Cup final and uh, and the start of the season. I had a good game of words with friends. That was about it. All right. Plenty to get to on this show. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show, by the way, for all our bonus content, including... The final showdown of our golden shoey. We had some very specific predictions running all the way through the Women's World Cup final. It appears that Sir Joseph of Lowry and myself are tied at the top of the table, and there's some tiebreakers, which are going <gasps> to happen. Um, it's, quiz, quiz, it's quiz time, Joe. Are you nervous? I'm very nervous. I'm, I'm super nervous because you're older than me, and <laughs> I think that puts me at a major disadvantage, <laughs> frankly. So I'm really, really scared. Yes. Oh, they're all from this tournament. Oh, yeah. Sweet. And they're all about tech I feel great now, so. actually. Oh, no. <laughs> I felt much better Never before mind. you said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, Kenneth did some work. I'll put it that way. Uh, it's wow. going to be interesting. We're going to be kind of figuring out the format for this one, I think, as we go. So All that right. should be a fun, chaotic listen. Okay, well, Joe, start prepping which shoe you're going to use because I don't fancy my chances anymore. But uh, good luck to you. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show for all our bonus content. Before we get to the games, by the way, some transfer news we should uh, dip in on. Tyler Adams to Bournemouth is confirmed. £20 million deal uh, to activate his release clause for a five-year deal. And also, Serginio Dest has been confirmed, uh, headed to PSV on loan from Barcelona with an option to buy. Joe, good times for American players. Tyler Adams uh, will be in the Premier League for one season, possibly. Yeah, hard, hard to say. I think I think we ended up feeling more confident about Bournemouth than maybe at least three other teams in the Premier League back when we did our teams that are destined to struggle. At least I think that's where I landed. Not that I would be surprised if they ended up going down, but it's a good move for Tyler Adams. I think in a lot of ways, it's a better move than the Chelsea move that almost happened, given that Chelsea still seem like a chaotic club. And frankly, the level of player that they are going after is is higher than Tyler Adams. And the level that they already have, Taylor, cover your ears, is probably a little higher than Tyler Adams. So I think in terms of his playing time, Bournemouth is a good fit. Taylor's smiling at me in in the camera. Taylor, very, very nice. Uh, so I think that move makes sense in, in large Jenny part. I'm sure we'll, it was. That's exactly right, Graham. I'm sure we'll talk more about that later in the week as well. And then the, the Dest move... I think it's a good one if you strip out kind of everything that's happened over the last several seasons. If you if you just think back to him going from Ajax and eventually ending up at PSV like three years later or whatever it's been, it is a, a tough pill to swallow. But for right now, I think it absolutely makes sense for him. I'd have to check out the depth chart a bit more for PSV because honestly, I hadn't seen that, Ryan, before we started desk recording. Chart. But on the desk chart, well played. But on, on, the, on paper, I think it's a, a good move for him. Yep. Uh, I agree with Joe about PSV. I also agree with Joe about Tyler Adams and Chelsea. There are certain players that you get the sense clubs sign and are just sort of like, you are welcome, we signed you, we will play you when we want to. Otherwise, be quiet and sit on the bench. Mariano Diaz at Real Madrid would be a prime example Danny of Drink that. Water. Yeah, another one, <laughs> yes, exactly. When he wasn't getting uh, into altercations uh, drunkenly outside of pubs, he was uh, asked to sit on the bench and do nothing else. Uh, and Tyler Adams, I feel like, would have been that player. We would have seen him in... The League's Cup, maybe. Uh, uh, and uh, wait, now I'm confused. Which one's the League Cup and which is the League's Cup? Uh, League Cup is the one that Messi hasn't completed and won yeah. yet. Give it time. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I feel like he wouldn't have gotten much much of an opportunity. Bournemouth, it does feel like he will be, if not a, a regular starter, then very much in and around that team uh, in a much more comprehensive way. I would have liked, I like the rumors to, to Brighton, but I feel like they are also a team that maybe know what they're doing, know how they want to play. And he would have come in and had to have really, like, I think developed his game some more, which wouldn't be the worst thing, but I don't know what the situation would have been. It feels like Bournemouth is the best situation for Mm. him to get sort of immediate minutes and still have an impact. I'm pleased for Sergino Desk because I was getting worried that he'd been left behind at the camp now as they demolished it around him and he was <laughs> yeah. locked in some sort of dungeon. So good that he's been let out of the camp now dungeon and will actually play some soccer this season. Hopefully so. Good stuff. All right, why don't we turn our attention to the Premier League? Tottenham 2, Man United 0. The first win of the Big Andrew Revolution here, Graham, and of the post-Harry Kane era for Tottenham. Very well-deserved. It was a... I'd like to call this a game of two halves for Tottenham. The second half, they certainly turned on a little more mm. than they did in the first half. Papi Matisar and Lissandro Martinez with the own goal for the two goals. And I referenced Roy Keane earlier on. Uh, he did say, Man United are the new Spurs. Weak leadership away from home. He was unimpressed, Graham. 
He was, but I'm not putting too much stock in what Roy Keane is saying at the moment or what he said during this match because at halftime he criticised Spurs for (laughs) playing with too much arrogance and thinking they were Man City trying to pass the ball. Second half, Spurs passed Manchester United to death and won 2-0. So, as I say, not putting too much stock in what Roy Keane says. This was an enjoyable match, certainly for Spurs more than Manchester United, but even still, I think you could see this was a match between two teams who are, are still not the finished product. Um, even with Spurs, some aspects of their performance in the first half were a little bit wayward, but by full time, I think you could see that Spurs look the more, and this might be a bold statement, but look look the more complete team, at least in terms of their approach and identity at this specific moment in time. And if you're Manchester United, that's quite damning, given that this, given that this is year two of Eric Ting Hag at Manchester United. But I was impressed by how Spurs approached this game. You can quite clearly see the hallmarks of Ange Ball and what he's trying to do with these players. I thought it was quite an open game on the whole. Manchester United did have the better of the first 30 minutes or so. And at that point, I actually thought they had responded excuse me, pretty well after that poor performance against Wolves. But Spurs grew and, and, and a lot of the things that we saw in that Wolves game from Manchester United started, we started to see that again. Um, it was a really uneven performance by Manchester United, if we're, if we're being kind. And even from Spurs, quite uneven as well. But at least with Spurs, you can see certain things that Postcoglu is working on, things that are working, maybe some things that aren't working as, as, as well. My United, on the other hand, are just a bit of a puzzle at yeah. the moment. They are a confusing team to watch at this moment. Graham, you mentioned Ange Ball kind of taking hold with Tottenham. I think we're seeing just the very beginnings of it, but we are seeing the beginnings of it. And I think we're going to see more and more as the season goes on. And Tottenham will start to look more fluid and more, even more sound in the attacking half. But I thought they did a lot of good stuff on the ball in this game. I think their ability to progress is already better than I thought it would be just two games into the Premier League season to get the ball into the final third. And then even the players figuring out some of the patterns in the final third. And with Celtic, how Postacoglu set up, and we talked a bit about this last week, is their base shape pushes the two fullbacks inside next to a number six. They have the two center backs behind them. Then that midfield three with two fullbacks and a six. And then a front five with two wingers, a striker, and then two players in the half spaces between those guys. It's the exact same setup here with Tottenham. The fullbacks are pinching inside. The wingers most often are staying really wide. And then you have two attacking midfielders in the half spaces. And in this game... Tottenham just obliterated Manchester United's fullbacks with those overloads that they can create by stretching the field really, really wide with those wingers and then running players up and down the channels. And that's where the second goal comes from. It is uh, the ball goes all the way wide to the left. And then Ben Davies, I believe, is the player that makes that that run up the seam. And all of a sudden, it's a 2v1 on Luke Shaw, uh, who's defending. And it's not Luke Shaw, is it? Who's the the right side of the defender? Maybe Dallow. I don't remember in that. that Uh, One in the first half. Okay, all right. I, it was in the second half, so I, it doesn't matter okay. at this point. But it's 2v1 against that fullback for Manchester United, and Tottenham can easily play in the box. And it ends up being an own goal for, for Manchester United, but that's the one that seals it. Like, Martinez puts the ball in the back of the net because of how cleanly Tottenham have progressed and how really easily they've created that 2v1 on the, on the far side and then found space in the box. It was a detailed, clever, very much pre-planned attacking sequence from Tottenham, and I think we're going to see more and more of that as the season goes on. Taylor, um, Mason Mount seemed to divide opinion in this game a little bit. Mm -hmm. Obviously intended as that midfield link with Casemiro and Bruno to some extent, but that link doesn't seem to have forged very well at the moment. What did you make of uh, that performance? So I watched this uh, live, then I watched it again, which was super fun. Uh, And I was paying particular attention to Mason Mount. And I think he is an issue. I don't think he is the issue. I think there are maybe several the issues, and I think Bruno Fernandes is one of them. Because he seems to have license to sort of go wherever he wants. And I increasingly increasingly wonder how much he actually has that license and how much he's just sort of doing that. But it, it was telling to me that when United were defending, sometimes he's on the right side of the center midfield, sometimes he's on the left. But it didn't seem to be much uh, like, like rhyme or reason to it. It just was sort of like wherever the ball was lost, he would take up that position. And then the team had to adjust accordingly. And then when they would win the ball... I think that also makes it really hard if you're sort of improvising your positioning or you're having to adapt uh, on the fly. Sometimes that's good, but it felt like to me a lot of the time it was United having to put their foot on the ball, see where everybody was, and then start moving. And I think that contrasts with what we've been talking about with Spurs, where everyone seems to understand their assignments. Everybody seems to be uh, pretty into the system pretty quickly. And so then you can adapt it. You can sort of tinker with it. You can add improvisation to it when you have that sort of spine, that structure. It doesn't feel like Manchester United really have that, or it doesn't feel like they're fully clicking into gear. 
And so it, it felt to me like everybody was sort of slow and the decision making across the board was poor. Some of that is in the buildup. Some of that is just in possession. But a lot of the service from Anthony and Garnacho, I thought was was rushed, was sort of just trying to play the ball in and create some chaos and wasn't really slowing down and picking out obvious runners or uh, combining quickly to then get better opportunities to cross or shoot. It just sort of felt like a breakdown across the board for Manchester United, especially as the game went on. And I share Graham's, uh, I guess Graham isn't concerned. I am concerned as a supporter, but the same level of confusion that for Spurs to already be clicking in this way, having only had two Premier League games under Ange Postacoglu, and for Manchester United to look so still a working, like a work in progress at this point is a bit of a head scratcher for me. And compare Mason Mount's performance from Manchester United in this game to the performance of James Madison. I would who... prefer not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Mason Mount would prefer us not to compare him with James Madison as well. Two players who are, you know, relatively similar in, the, in their skill set and in the in, in terms of where they are in their career. I think James Madison is slightly older than Mason Mount, but nonetheless, England internationals play in similar areas of the pitch. And I thought James Madison was was brilliant in this game, particularly yep. in the second half when, when Spurs were really putting the foot down. He did something every time he received the ball. He was dribbling. He was carrying the ball from deep. He, he was uh, kind of popping passes around and keeping the tempo high. And Postcoglu clearly sees him as a key part of that team. And it doesn't surprise me, given what I know about Postcoglu's style and, and how he wants attacking midfielders who are bold on the ball and take risks. We saw that at, at Celtic. And that's exactly what Madison does. And as I say, compare that to Mason Mount, who doesn't really seem to have a well-defined role in this Manchester United team. Um, as, you're right, Taylor, there are more issues to this Manchester United team than than just Mason Mount. But if you look at his individual stats, he, he touched touched the ball 26 times in this game. Um, Madison had more than double that. And, and, and Mount was playing a bit deeper as well. So you might expect him to be even more involved in the game than, than James Madison. Um, but it just shows a player that ha- that is, yeah. look, we're only two games into the season. There's still time for him to grow in that team and for him to learn his role. Um, but he's just not having an influence right now. And Minuted, I don't know who Minuted's next game is against, but whoever it is against, I would probably yeah. take Mount out of that midfield at this moment in time. It, things are not clicking for Manchester United through two games. I think that's very, very obvious at this point. Their build-up play has not been especially precise. Mason Mount really hasn't found his role. I, I think, though... the he's not really the first place I look for this Manchester United team. Still the first place I look is how incomplete this squad is. Like I, I don't Taylor, you're talking about, you know, reevaluating everything and thinking about everything. And I know it's kind of tongue in cheek with some of the, the Manchester United despair. Well, but, m- but my point is you, we should have been doing that before the season started. And, and we were yeah. doing that before the season started. Like this, a lot of this stuff is very predictable for this team. When it's Mason Mount starting in a midfield with Garnacho on one side, with Anthony on the other side, Garnacho very much still unproven at this level. Anthony has not been a very good signing for Manchester United since coming over from Ajax. And Marcus Rashford at the number nine, like this squad is still transfer windows mm-hmm. on transfer windows away from being the Manchester United that they were before. So I maybe I'm in the minority. I, I'm just but- still never surprised when I see Manchester United come out and struggle. And quickly, one thing on Tottenham, because I know everybody wants to jump in. We've, we've heaped a lot of praise on Tottenham. They are not the finished item either. Like, I, I, at least I want to stake my flag in the ground saying, like, they, they look better than I thought they would at this point in the season. But they gave up 14 shots in the first half, 22 shots in this game. They were not the better team for the entirety of the match. Pedro Porro does not look very comfortable tucking inside and playing in that inverted fullback kind of role. I think he would much rather be overlapping and, and be playing that kind of end line to end line wing back position. So they're like both teams are still working in progress. It's just that maybe Tottenham seem to be working a bit faster. And Joe, when you say that United are, are are not complete, and I don't necessarily disagree because I think I've been pretty clear in my concern yeah, about their, their opening Absolutely. two performances this season. But they're meant to be pretty close to being complete at this point. And if you look at the lineup, you go through that team. Andre Onana, he's meant to be the long-term goalkeeper. Uh, Luke Shaw, Martinez, Varane, that's meant to be the long, long-term long left-back and centre-back sure. partnerships. I think you could argue that Wan-Bissaka is a bit of a compromise at the moment. But then you have Mount Casemiro Fernandez. That's meant to be the long-term midfield. Then you have Anthony on the right wing, who was signed for, what, 80 million euros last season. He's meant to be the long-term right uh, right winger. I accept Rashford should be playing at left wing, but you get Hoyland into that team and you you look at that lineup. It's they're really two not, players oh, away. They're, they're really two players away from what I thought Ten Hag envisaged this mm-hmm. team to be. And it's really concerning that it looks a lot further away when you look at how they're playing than just two players away, if that makes any yeah. sense. I think the, the, the saving grace, if it's a saving grace at all, is simply that 
speaking for myself, like I have faith in Eric Ten Hag. I think if this is a different manager, I, I am much more concerned about where things are going. And there was already that sort of disquiet uh, in a few different places I saw about like, he's not getting the best out of this team. We got to move on. And I think that is ridiculous. Uh, Manchester United, I think historically are not the strongest of starters, but I share Graham's perspective that this is a team that is sort of, I think, meant to be closer. Joe, I think you're also correct. I don't yeah. think they are. And, and, and the reason why I say it wasn't tongue in cheek is because Joe, we were texting about this as a group and Joe sort of broke it down pretty effectively that like that attack is not what it's supposed to be or what it was meant to be. And when you have Anthony who looks inconsistent at best and Garnacho who is still not fully proven is a maybe generous way to put it. You have Marcus Rashford playing out of position and really not looking sharp. Once again, if he buries that header off of the Bruno Fernandez Rabona, which was one of the like prettiest moments of the weekend, especially mm-hmm. if it had come off, maybe it's an entirely different story and everything looks good. But to me, the kind of inconsistency in that team starts to show some of the cracks in the squad, and it starts to make me a bit more nervous, speaking as a Manchester United fan. Speaking as a Tottenham viewer, uh, I just wanted to echo what Graham said about James Madison for a moment, who I thought was excellent. I thought this was really a comprehensively solid performance from him in that he does so many things for this team. Uh, There's a moment in the first half when he picks up a loose ball, maybe 20 yards from his own goal, carries it forward 30 yards and triggers an attack himself. But then there's other times when Spurs have the ball, Manchester United have taken up their their defensive positioning as it's meant to be. They're blocking passing lanes. They're applying limited pressure at times. And Madison is always the one who shows up in a little bit of space or shows up through the lines to receive a ball and then play it quickly. And so often Spurs attacks will uh, like rapidly escalate or they'll uh, sort of like just like speed up really, really quickly. Accelerate, that's the word I'm looking for. Uh, and, and it's all via Madison getting on the ball and playing fast. But then there's other moments, and this is the last thing I'll say on him. In the lead up to the first goal, uh, I think it's United cough the ball up. Madison gets on the ball, carries it forward, and, and looks like he's trying to play it to Son down the left wing. Son is wide open, I should say. But Madison kind of can't get the angle on it right. He has one defender, and he, by the time he does... He recycles possession and Son sort of stands there looking at him like, are you kidding me? And Madison keeps the ball, holds it up for a second, lays it off, turns and gives him a like, calm down, calm down motion and Spurs then move the ball to the other side, attack down and score immediately from that. And even there to me, I look at like Spurs last season and it feels like the goal was get it to Son, get it into transition. We'll get numbers forward. We'll counterattack really swiftly. And Madison, I think not playing that ball and sort of checking down and slowing it down and letting people get into more ideal attacking positions under the, like, uh, and ball, Pasacoglu ball, uh, it seemed to work. And so it feels like he understands what's asked of him. He understands his responsibilities and then is capable of of executing them and playing up to that potential. So a great game from him, a great game from Spurs, less so Manchester United. Indeed. My favorite moment for James Madison was in, he was interviewed and asked what it was like to wear the big shirt, the big number 10 shirt. And he said, no, it's a small, it's fine. (laughs) He has a good interview. He's, I've seen him speak to the media a few times. He's always pretty entertaining. He does seem to have some personality, which isn't always the case with professional soccer players, Graham. Indeed. All right, that was Tottenham's two to win over Man United. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to go around the rest of the Premier League, the rest of Europe. We're going to do a whole lot of things with the League's Cup back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our weekend review. We had the sports washing derby, Man City 1, Newcastle 0. And ladies and gentlemen, for this performance, the role of Kevin De Bruyne will be played by Phil Foden. <laughs> 17th home victory in a row for Man City here. Uh, Elon Alvarez with a, a lovely goal in this one. Foden with the no-look assist as well. Very, very nice. Graham, I like seeing Alvarez and Harlan built into the same team here as well. Yep, I have them both in my fantasy team, so I like that as 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 well. Alvarez, big Hang fan. On, Graham. That's, of, isn't of... that a, that's a danger man thing to do, isn't it? Have both yes, of them in your team, surely. Graham, you dog. Why? They, well, I wouldn't expect they'd always play together. I think they are going to play a lot together this season, Maybe and Alvarez is really good value. I think he is primarily seen as the Gundogan replacement. Right. He started the first two games of the season, a goal and assist in those first two games. So I feel somewhat vindicated, Ryan yeah. Bailey, having I mean, those you're two right. you're right, in my but, team. Yeah. Yeah. Massive fan of Julian Alvarez. Um, I spoke about him last season. He would have been a, a headline addition for City last season if it hadn't been for that Nordic meat shield that also arrived in the same summer transfer window <laughs> and scored 100 goals. But from this match, you you led with it, Ryan Bailey. Phil Foden was my main takeaway from, from, from this match. I thought his performance was excellent. And, and, and while City's squad is actually quite small when you look at it, the, the depth that they do have in terms of when one player gets injured and the player that they can bring in is 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 just ridiculous. So out comes Kevin De Bruyne, who I think is out for four to five months through injury. In comes Foden and he plays like this. And he's just so good at picking up those little pockets of space and getting on the half turn. And Newcastle just couldn't deal with him, particularly in the first half. And he created the chance for Alvarez to, to score, the, score the winner in this game. And I, I do wonder if De Bruyne's injury might be a bit of a blessing in disguise for, for for Foden and maybe even for City if it helps them build that succession plan for De Bruyne because while Foden is clearly a very talented player, his role in this in this squad and this team hasn't really been very clear over the last couple seasons. So if all of a sudden he is seen as the succession plan, the clear successor to De Bruyne, who is about, what is he, like 32, 33 years old? He is getting on a little bit now. He's also and played injuries. a billion games, yeah. Yeah, he's played a billion games and he does seem to be picking up injuries quite quite regularly now. So having Foden to come in as, and, and be that successor is is very valuable to City. He's just so versatile, but I, I, I do think he is most influential in that central position. And the other player alongside him who was very impressive was Mateo Kovacic, who I thought was, was very effective. He has clearly been given a bit more freedom by Guardiola to drive the ball forward and that was creating overloads. So yeah, City weren't at their best in this game and Newcastle did apply some pressure in the second half, but Foden, Kovacic and I guess Alvarez, who scores the winner, were impressive. Indeed. Uh, at the Hammer Bowl on Sunday, West Ham 3, Chelsea 1. Ten-man West Ham uh, getting the win over Potch's side here. James Ward-Prowse looking good for West Ham in lieu of Declan Rice here. Uh, Chelsea have only got a single point from opening two games now. I thought, Grand, they looked good at times in this game. Raheem Sterling, I thought, looked really good in, mm. in moments in this game as well. He but still, still pretty defensively naive. And uh, poor old Moises Casado on his debut concedes a penalty. Yeah, not ideal for Moises Caicedo. Do Brighton curse players when they sell them to another club? Because we had an Alexis McAllister (laughs) uh, red card for Liverpool. And this, frankly, was a disaster class for for Caicedo on his Chelsea debut. He was on the pitch for 37 minutes, lost possession eight times, conceded two fouls, one of which was a penalty, had a shot off target, made another error that led to a a shot. And he just, he couldn't get anywhere near Ryan Bailey's favourite, Lucas Paqueta. A bit embarrassing for him. Now, I'm not writing him off on that basis. And I'm also never a fan of throwing a new signing into a team a few days after they, they come into the squad. It doesn't really say a lot for... Chelsea's planning but it certainly wasn't the most positive of introductions and not the most positive of of, of games for for Chelsea I thought last week was a tentative step forward for them but this was undeniably a big step backwards again so many of the problems we saw all the way through last season were, were there wastefulness in front of goal poor at defending set pieces admittedly it's difficult to defend those set pieces when um, James Ward-Prowse is, is 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 taking them and Kurt Zuma is on the end of them they are dangerous at set pieces West Ham I thought a lack of fitness at times from Chelsea as well in the second half which which mm. was surprising given how much of a focus Pochettino has put on that over over pre-season um, the response to going behind was 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 good, but beyond that, and maybe the performance of Sterling, who looks a little bit more like the old Raheem Sterling again, there there wasn't a huge amount for Chelsea to pick out of this one. 
Indeed. Uh, meanwhile, Ryan Bailey's favourite midfielder, Lucas Paqueta, as you mentioned, Graham, has been withdrawn from Brazil's World Cup qualifier squad around uh, an FA and FIFA betting investigation. A fire truck of lawyers stand by. Reportedly, a string of suspicious bets were placed on him receiving a yellow card in a game mm. against Aston Villa last season. Uh, those bets placed with West Ham sponsor Betway. Oh boy. Uh, and he did get a yellow card for dissent for arguing with a linesman in that game. The... Uh, investigation continues yeah it's a shame for Lucas Paqueta because he, he really does seem to have taken a step up over the last six months or so Man City interested in him as well but yeah it does it does kind of seem like he's going to get suspended for the same thing that Ivan Tony has been suspended for and we might not see him for a little while and this one perhaps a bit more serious because he's actually yeah. suggested that he's betting on his own games as well whereas Ivan Tovey that yeah. I don't believe that was accused uh, that was the accusation not ideal not ideal yeah. not great not great maybe that man city uh move not coming off just yet uh liverpool three bournemouth won a comeback win for liverpool at anfield here bournemouth scoring within a couple of minutes here but diaz salah and jota with the liverpool goals taylor i don't know if you saw alexis McAllister on his first home game sent off for a rather dubious red card yeah didn't feel like maybe that needed to be a straight red to me there were some inconsistencies in the way games were officiated this weekend i feel like that's kind of the way it goes in the opening couple weeks and then we see how things are actually going to be called for the course of the season but that one felt very very harsh to me and it it has meant that he has not had the strongest of starts to his liverpool career so i hope that uh, with the what mandatory couple games, he'll come back and look sharper. Everybody else will look tired. He'll come back, and then we'll see the true glory of Alexis McAllister in a Liverpool shirt. Hmm. How about them Liverpools, Graham? Looking good. What do you think? Yeah, we certainly saw some of the the kind of a Liverpool attacking quality from the last few seasons in this match. I thought Luis Diaz, um, Jota, Salah, even though he misses a penalty and then tucks away the rebound, I thought they all had a a, a good game. It, it it was though on on the whole quite uneven again from Liverpool. They were completely asleep for the first 15 minutes of, mm. of, of the match where Bournemouth were just finding it so easy to, to bypass their midfield and get in their defence. Before Semenyo scores the first goal for Bournemouth, they, they have a goal disallowed as well. And Alisson's distribution was 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 an issue. Um, I didn't think Van Dijk and Andy Robertson, again, I, they're becoming a bit of a concern for Liverpool, I have to say, um, which is strange because one of the issues seems to be a lack of communication between the two. That's broken down. They've played like 10 seasons together, so maybe they're just not talking to each other at, at the moment. But on the plus side for Liverpool, talking about new signings, McAllister gets a red card, but I thought uh, Sobersly was very, very impressive. And he's had an impressive start to his Liverpool career. I just... The way he he carries the ball through the midfield and and creates overloads and gets the ball forward, it's the, he's the sort of player that Liverpool have needed for a long, long time. He's got the number eight shirt, and I've seen Liverpool fans uh, comparing to comparing him to another famous former Liverpool central midfielder who wore that number eight shirt. Um, so that kind of tells you how excited they are about him. He was very good. I praise indeed. Wolves won Brighton 4. Karo Mitoma with a Messi-esque solo stunner in this one. Uh, Wolves, not so good, but hey, Graham, you can't play Man United every week. Sorry, I didn't catch that goal. I was too busy watching Billy Gilmore just, like, controlling huh. and passing yeah. teams to death. Yeah. yeah, Billy Gilmore was very good. It was a good goal. I did see that goal from, from, from Mitoma. <laughs> yeah, Brighton are just silly at this point how do they keep doing it like they, every week they sell their best player for a new premier league record fee and then just roll out like someone new that you've never heard of julio and ciso who i have heard of he was very good in the second half of last season again just very good pulling the strings as the number 10 and then their changes off the bench are evan ferguson uh dahoud from dortmund and then jao pedro which is impressive strength for a team like brighton to bring that off the bench yeah they're they're doing some things right at the moment I want to I want to pull the room because I'm also incredibly impressed, impressed by Brighton. I think everybody with a pair of eyes has been impressed by what they've done in recent seasons. What what is the ceiling for this team in terms of the table? Because, Graham, you said it there for a team like Brighton. And you're right. Like the Premier League has very clear tiers where some teams can spend their way to success and other teams either either can't or won't. Brighton seem to be in that second category, not that they don't spend anything, but they don't spend as much as the big boys. Graham, where do you think this team can finish? Two wins in two games so far. They're they're doing fine. So Carl Anka every season does uh what does he call it a mulligan a, a Murphy what's that term again where you predict something and you're allowed to like yeah take mul- it back, I think mulligan I, think. I don't know if that's yeah. what he calls yeah. it to but. do like a 
Well, yeah. Um, it's a freebie. Forget- you kind of get a freebie. Yeah, yeah exactly. A free hit, essentially. Every season he does his free hit predictions. And uh, mine for this season was Brighton top four. So I don't okay. know whether that's realistic or not. But this is a very, very impressive team. And they seem to be unbelievably getting better. Roberto De Zerbi, I think, is legitimately one of the best managers in the Premier League at the moment. And that's maybe one of the things that could stop them from getting as high as kind of a top four challenge is if say, I don't know, Manchester United sacked Ten Hag or whatever and Deserbi gets one of the big jobs in the Premier League mm. or even one of the big jobs in Europe. I think that would be... I know Pot- I know Brighton went from Potter to Deserbi and didn't even skip a stride, but I think losing Deserbi would be a big blow. But if they keep him for the full season, this this could be a pretty memorable campaign, campaign it, for them. It feels helpful that the rest of the top seven team or, or I don't know maybe we'll, we'll, we won't loop Newcastle into this but basically everybody not named City Arsenal and, and maybe Newcastle are kind of tripping over themselves for various reasons it feels like if there's going to be a season for Brighton to finish that high up the table it it genuinely might be this year I my theory is that Tony Bloom Brighton manager has Biff's almanac from back to the future it just he just knows exactly <laughs> when to sell the players and to make the money basically and uh, I think um, they're going to be part of the big nine. Big six is a big nine, or is it big ten now? I'm not sure. They're they're they're, uh, they're established. They're in the furniture in the Premier League. Let's say that. Yeah, like this, this number's getting too big. The, the the big the big nine is too big in my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. At what point does it just become a big twenty or a I big mean, nineteen plus Luton? Big Big Ten has branding problems <laughs> with college football as well. They're going to have to think of a different Pac-12 name. Pac twelve is open if anybody wants to take advantage oh. of that one. There needs to be an eleven. Maybe it's an eleven. They can meet in the middle. We'll there see. We'll see on that one. Fulham nil, Brentford three. Brentford now unbeaten in eleven London derbies. Not struggling to score without the aforementioned Ivan Tony. Five goals in two games here. Tim Ream was sent off in this one for a couple of yellows. And uh, Villa got a 4-0 win over Everton. Villa obviously got a beatdown from Newcastle in their first week. And now they've dished out one of their own, Graham. Mm. John McGinn scored and England lost a World Cup final on the same day. What a Sunday it was and what a performance it was by Aston Villa. Not a good Sunday for Everton, though, who I cannot stress enough were absolutely abysmal in this game and have been abysmal in the two games they played so far this season. If this is their team for the season, they're getting relegated. They're heading for the championship. All the same issues from last season are still there. There's no goals in this team. Talking of the Brighton curse, I think Dominic Calvert-Lewin is cursed because he's back in this team and fit again. He comes off in the first half because he gets a bosh in the face and his whole face swells up. and So he can't continue. There's just no creativity, there's no pace, there's no energy. They they need good signings, not just signings, they need good signings in about four key areas. And given what we know about Everton's track record in the transfer market in the last few years, I am really not convinced they're going to get those players. So yeah, pretty depressing times for Everton, Everton I'm afraid. Are you, uh, are you feeling the championship is giving them a little a wink and a wave at the moment, Graham? At, at this point, I think, you know how you were waving your hands around with your intro? That's basically what the championship has been doing to Everton for the last three years. And <laughs> one of these seasons, the championship is just going to grab Everton and, 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 and suck them into that league. Yeah, it's not looking good for them at the moment. It isn't. And a new stadium, obviously, uh, mid-completion, which is uh, suboptimal for a team uh, on the verge of relegation as well. Let's take another little break. When we come back, we're going to go to the Bundesliga and Harry Kane's debut therein. We've got La Liga action, Serie A, League's Cup final, and much more. Back shortly. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, 
it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our weekend review. Werder Bremen nil, Bayern Munich 4. Harry Kane in a Bayern Munich show in the Bundesliga with a goal and an assist on his league debut here. Like A nice assist for uh, Sane on the break in this one. Harry Kane finally has beaten Alan Shearer's Bundesliga goal-scoring record, so congratulations to him on that one. His quote from this game, the fans from both sides were incredible the whole game. Really different to some of the Premier League atmospheres I've experienced. Almost as if uh, making tickets affordable for regular working folk going brings a good atmosphere to games. Isn't that weird? It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's strange. What a revelation. Didn't know that. Joe, uh, did you catch this one? What did you make of uh, Harry Kane? Is he the piece of the jigsaw puzzle they needed? Kind of feels that way, doesn't it? If we just sort of scrub that three nil Super Cup loss to Leipzig out of our out of our memories, he didn't start that game. So there's uh, a couple of extenuating circumstances there. But Harry Kane was every bit as good as we all expected him to be for Bayern Munich in this game. Last week I talked about how he is the the piece that's finally now coming in to replace Robert Lewandowski after they went down a maybe we don't really need to do that and we can tweak a little bit of how we play and how we want to set up to accommodate players like Serge Gnabry and Sadio Mane up top together in different moments or, or go without a true number nine or just use Chipomoting as the number nine because he's always in and around this team. I, I think they realized, yeah, we should go out and get a big boy and they signed maybe the biggest of big boys in Harry Kane. And he is playing exactly like the Harry Kane that we would expect, right? It's that assist in the fourth minute of this game that really made me think, okay, this, this is going to be filthy good for Bayern Munich. It's the fourth minute. And uh, the ball's been bouncing around a little bit in midfield. Bayern get the ball inside their own half. They start to play forward. Harry Kane doesn't have to drop in so much as he's already kind of dropped in, ready to facilitate and kind of be the point guard on the break for Bayern Munich. And he gets on the ball. It's one touch. So he receives and plays forward in the same touch. Leroy Sané, like the, the seas are parted. And Sané goes right in into the attacking half, dribbles forward and scores. It is, it's a simple goal for Bayern. Very, very poor defending in this moment from Werder Bremen. But it's an excellent example of what Harry Kane does. Not only does he get in the box and score goals, and he scores one in this game, ending with a goal and an assist, but he's also a facilitator. And maybe even more of a facilitator than Robert Lewandowski was when he was with Bayern Munich. But the idea is similar, right? These are players that can contribute in basically every phase of the game. Consistently for, for Bayern, Lewandowski was somewhere around maybe just under 40 goals and assists combined in the Bundesliga each year, year after year. Harry Kane you know, could get close to that for Tottenham, but would usually be a bit under. I think we're going to see Kane rival the kinds of numbers that Lewandowski put up. I think he's already got two combined goals and assists from this game. I think he's going to be darn close to 40 by the time this year ends, and Bayern are going to be very, very hard to shut down. 
Wow. I'm going to be darn close to 40 by the time this year ends, but in a different way, Joe. Uh, that's very good. Um, yeah, very, very impressive stuff from Hurricane. I wish his name rhymed with Sane, by the way. For my intros, it would make things a lot easier. You can but... do it, Ryan. You can do it. I'm not going to stop you. Kane and Sane. I, it sounds good. I did I did pronounce it Champagne, Champagne in, in a recent intro. So maybe we can make that work, Joe. Maybe we can. <laughs> uh, Bundesliga game of the weekend, though, uh, Taylor. Leverkusen mm-hmm. 3, RB Leipzig 2, 5-goal thriller. I really enjoyed this game. Uh not just because of the goals uh, and because it was a nice palate cleanser after watching Manchester United be abysmal, uh, but because I think Leverkusen especially are doing really interesting things. I will say I watched this one, I think, more from a Leverkusen perspective than a Leipzig perspective. Uh, and Leverkusen in a back three, but then sometimes in a back two, sometimes in a back four. Uh, the biggest thing is that it allows uh, Grimaldo, their left wing back, and, and uh, Frimpong, their right wing back, to be aggressively forward early and often. Uh, Frimpong getting goals and assists in this game by being so involved in the attack. But the thing that I think is really interesting with Leverkusen, last season it felt like Chabi Alonso, their manager, was sort of building this uh, patterns of play style team where everybody, it, it was... Rigid is the wrong way to put it, but it was very much like this person is here, this person is here. When this person goes here, this person moves in there. It was a lot of rotations and patterns, and I feel like they had to establish that footing to now have more improvisation in the attack. And so you can see how controlled Leverkusen are when they're moving the ball around the back, when they're moving it through the middle and out wide. And it's very controlled and dedicated possession until they get into the into the attacking third and then it's much more high risk passes it's much more individual play they really clearly are told take risks uh try stuff make things happen in the attack and it's just it's really fun to watch when they go from controlled possession and moving the ball and deliberate possession to like bam, bam 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 and then it's these rapid fire attacks that oftentimes create and in this game definitely created um, key in that would be uh, Odalan Kasonu, the center back, which is an odd thing to say. He's the right center back, but sometimes is the right back, especially when Frimpong is as high as he often is. But even there, Kasonu sometimes looks like a right wing back for how often he gets involved in the attack, especially with his ability to dribble out of the back and dribble out of pressure. He does that a couple times in this game. He stood out to me as just being a really, really strong player, literally and figuratively for this Leverkusen team. A really fun Leverkusen team, mm. I-, I would say. Uh, so I enjoyed this one from that perspective. From the Leipzig perspective, I thought they did Leipzig things of lots of intensity, high energy running, high energy pressing, but then also sitting off at times. And the thing I wasn't really expecting, but now we'll be, be keeping an eye on, is that both of their goals are from set pieces. They definitely run design set pieces and aim for the back post and then head back across and then head back central. Uh, there's a lot of just good sequences off their set pieces. They clearly spend a lot of time on that in training, and, and it showed in this game. Two goals from two set pieces, not too bad, even if they don't get the results. So I think positive signs for both teams. Excellent stuff. We go to the badly logoed Liga. Barcelona 2, Cadiz 0. Uh, Barcelona Grand playing in their temporary home, high on the yeah. hills in Catalonia, the Olympic Stadium. Pedri and Ferran Tor- uh, getting the um, Torres getting the goals in this one. Yeah, it was a bit weird watching Barcelona play a, a game at the, the Olympic Stadium, um, which, as you mentioned, Ryan, is at the top of a hill in the city. So I think Barca's fans are all going to have Jack Grealish calves by the end of the season <laughs> getting up to there. They've only sold 20,000 season tickets for some context. Their normal number is 80,000. So some empty seats at the Olympic Stadium for this game. Um, but this was an improvement from Barcelona on the on the draw against Atafi the week before. Although you can still see it's a bit of a work in progress from them. Uh, Lamine Yamal came into the Barca team to become the, the youngest starter in La Liga history at 16 years old. There's a lot of excitement around him. And, and he was impressive in this game as well. Barcelona, they did struggle to create much in, in the first half, but it was Lamine who came closest to scoring with a, a kind of low shot. Um, Lewandowski kind of spills the ball, it comes out to Lamine, he gets the shot away and it's, it's tipped just around the post by the goalkeeper. The second half was a, a lot better. I think gradually we are starting to see a sustained shape and possession from Barcelona with Balde and Lamine keeping the width and then Oriol Ramu as, as, as the, the midfield anchor in the centre of the pitch and then Gundogan getting into the left, the left half space to kind of combine with Lewandowski and, and Balde and Pedri and to create those sort of triangles. That is, of course, where City made really good use of Gundogan last season and I think he is getting more and more into that role for Barcelona. So even though last, last week was 
pretty abysmal for Barcelona and they didn't play a good game, you can start to see things come together for them, even in the space of just one week. That's good stuff. And I'm sure um, rebuilding a new stadium, playing in a different one, selling a quarter of their season tickets is just awesome for their bottom line as well. I'm sure there are no problems. <laughs> yeah, that'll help. Yeah, They're going to need great. some uh, more levers to pull. Yeah, if they can find them. Almeria 1, Real Madrid 3. A comeback win here for Real Madrid. Jude Bellingham, once again, man yeah. at the moment with a brace here. Vinicius getting a goal too. Jude Bellingham now scored in both uh, of Real Madrid's matches, Graham. Yeah, and I can't talk about Real Madrid right now without basically doing the whole segment on, on Jude Bellingham. He's going to get 20 goals in all comps this season. He has just been given so much attacking freedom by Ancelotti. I, I don't know if that was the original plan when he signed from Dortmund in the summer or whether it's a response to Benzema leaving and then the kind of reshuffle that's happened since then. But he's just so quick to get in into the box. He's making runs in behind like he did for his second goal. He's getting into the six-yard box for crosses like he did for his first goal. There was a disallowed goal as well where he's he's almost the focal point of the attack and he sets it back for Kroos to, to, to shoot and he finds the back of the net, but there's a marginal offside. He has a hand in Vinicius's goal as well, which is a ridiculous finish, by the way. A side-foot finish with basically no backlift. Absolutely outrageous from Vinicius. But it is all about Jude Bellingham right now. I, I can't really remember a big Real Madrid signing who started better than he has and already feels like along with maybe Vinicius and uh, Luka Modric he is kind of a central pillar of this team and it's only taken him like two or three games yeah I'm, I'm fully drinking the Bellingham Kool-Aid at this point as well he has been even better than I thought he would be he was dominant for Dortmund last year in the Bundesliga and in, in every competition for them but he looks even better Graham he looks bigger to me than I remember like more more physical, a little stronger, still with the same technical ability. And and you mentioned it, like he's kind of playing as the Benzema replacement, not in a like-for-like -like way, but it's a 4-4-2 diamond a lot of the time for Real Madrid. Graham, you've detailed this before, but with Vinicius and, and Rodrigo right at the top of that, that shape. So they're the two forwards with then a midfield diamond underneath, and Bellingham is playing as the number 10 but he's not a he's not really a through ball threader kind of player. He's not you know just going to drift around and be a luxury player. He's playing that number ten role and he's crashing the box. Not that he's never dropping back to get on the ball, right? But he's he's crashing the box early and often. He's the first runner so much of the time for them, and you see that on the the, the goal that he scores in the 60th minute of this game. It's Tony Kroos on the ball deeper downfield, and Bellingham just sees that no one's pushing back the back line. No one's testing them. No one's making a run in behind, and he just does it. And he's big enough that he's a threat in those runs. He's a, he's a threat as a target in the box, not just as a progressor or even a playmaker deeper down in midfield. Man, him at the, the tip of the spear, right? him as the point in that diamond, the front point in the diamond, with so many other quality players around him, has been awesome. I don't know if this is the best way for Real Madrid to attack. I think we will see a few different looks from them as the season goes on. Maybe this will be the one they end up sticking with without a true number nine in the team. I don't even think it's necessarily Bellingham's best role to play where he is right now. But man, it has been chaotic fun for Real Madrid so far. And, and I have really, really enjoyed getting to watch them try to figure out how to put Bellingham into the team and get him to succeed. Check so far. And how to replace Kareem Benzema. Check so far. Even if maybe that will turn into a bit of a question mark as the year goes on. City uh, kicked off this past weekend. Uh, Napoli getting a 3-1 win at Frosinone. Victory for Rudy Garcia in his first game in charge. Victor Osterman, Graham, with a brace against the newly promoted side here. Yeah, he's still good. And has finished to put Napoli 2-1 ahead in this game. Almost took the net off. Absolutely ridiculous finish. Um, Napoli, they, they, their performance was pretty ragged in the first 20 minutes or, or, or so, um, which is maybe not too surprising given this team might still have a two-month hangover from last season's Scudetto celebrations, which I think finished maybe like a day before the season started. They have fall they behind in this game. Well, they're still ongoing, yeah. <laughs> um, Kahuste, is, who is one of the new signings from, from Rem in, in, in Ligue 1, he arrived in the, in the summer, he gives away a penalty five minutes into his debut and uh, Frosinone, who, who, by the way, are coached by Fabio Grosso. Remember him? Scored a big, important goal in a, in a World Cup semi-final. So they take the lead in this game. But Napoli did kind of grow into it. We saw their threat in transition, even if Caradona was, was missing for this one. As you say, Ryan Osman, very, very impressive. And in terms of the performance of, excuse me, the profile of the performance, it was similar to what we saw last season with Napoli very energetic, very quick to move the ball and, and, and play through with awesome and as a, a direct option as well I think Rudy Garcia is going to try and keep everything in place 
um, and use the same framework and just hope nothing shifts over the course of the season. But tougher tests are coming, like in two weeks when they when they face Lazio. So uh, I'm not making any quick judgments on whether this is the same Napoli team as it was last season. All right, we shall soon find out. Uh, Fiorentina, a top after a 4-1 win at Genoa. Lecce got a 2-1 win over Lazio, perhaps the only or one of the bigger shocks of the Serie A weekend. And Juventus with a 3-0 win at Udinese. Yeah. Federico Chiesa is back. That, that's the big headline from this match, other than Tim Weah starting, of course, and doing relatively well as, as, as a right wing back. By the way, he comes out in this game in the second half and is replaced by Weston McKinney as a right wing back. So it seems like they're only exclusively signing Americans to play that role in the team. But going back to Chiesa, he really could be a game changer for Juventus if he's fit and in form this season. He's basically been injured since the Euros two years ago when he was one of the best players in that tournament for, for, for Italy. And I have missed watching him play like this. Two minutes in, he scores the, the first goal of the game with a laser in at the bottom corner from outside the box. I think there were real signs of his partnership with Vlavic looking really promising. I still maintain, I know Joe has disagreed with me on this one, but I still maintain that there is an elite level striker in Dusan Vlavic. And I think getting Chiesa around him brings the best out of him as a focal point. Juventus were 3-0 up at halftime, and I know this sounds weird for a Max Allegri coach team, they were playing a lot of attacking football, they were fun to watch, they kind of blew Udinese away in those first 45 minutes, Adrian Rabio scored a goal, so everything is coming up Juventus at the moment, and, and this challenged a lot of what I believe to be true in this world, but it was impressive <laughs> and I had a good time watching it. Wow. About time those Juve guys got some luck on their side, huh? Good fortunes coming their way. <laughs> Wonderful stuff to see, Graham. Uh, let's turn our attention now to Nashville, the aforementioned bachelorette capital of the world. Joe, ever been to Nashville? Nice. Never. Really I'd like cool. to go, oh, um, but so I don't good. think I'll ever be a bachelorette, so maybe that means I can't go. I don't. I'm not sure. I oh, know you're still allowed to go if you're not. You're not precluded oh, cool. from visiting. Right. But um, uh, Bro- yeah, Broadway good. is a good time. I recommend it to anybody. Uh, that's uh, one of Leo Messi's favorite towns now, surely. Nashville won into Miami, won in the League's Cup final. 10-9 on penalties into Miami win this one. 19 of 22 penalties converted, including, as we mentioned earlier, Joe, the goalkeepers taking the final round of yes. penalties, which is awesome. Inter Miami's first ever trophy. They've gone from being trash to trophy winners in one Lionel Messi. It's it's been wild to watch. I think if if folks have been on this ride watching this Inter Miami team change before our eyes, they will appreciate how enjoyable of an experience it's been. Messi's been every bit as good as anybody could have hoped for, right? He's come on and delivered in every single game to the point where I wonder like how many more times he can do it. Miami have a, a U.S. Open Cup semifinal game against FC Cincinnati. Are they just going to keep running Messi and Busquets out in every single game and playing them 90 minutes? Because that's what's happened so far. And they look fine. Messi looks just as as, as good every single game as he did the, the match before it. So we'll see what happens on that end of things. But Miami were not great in this game. Yes, they ended up lifting the trophy, but credit to Nashville. They really shut down this Miami attack. They gave up nothing. Almost nothing in the first 90 minutes before penalties. No extra time in this tournament as it should be from this point forward. It was it was a really strong performance from Nashville. They defend in a 4-4-2. They use their front two of Sam Sturridge coming in from Nottingham Forest, who looks excellent, by the way. And Hani Mukhtar, who is an MVP candidate every single season at this point. Those two screened Busquets really well. And then Dax McCarty and Annabelle Godoy in the middle of that 4-4-2 did a good job of stepping and kind of bumping forward to pressure Busquets as well. And also keeping an eye on Leo Messi, which is not something I was sure that any team would be capable of doing. I mean, on a consistent basis, no team in the world has ever been able to really shut down Leo Messi. And except for one moment, guys, Nashville did that. It just doesn't matter because the one moment that Messi gets free and finds even a glimmer of space, he bangs the ball into the back of the net. It's a nothing play that Leo Messi turns into a something play. I believe I saw while we were recording, Elliot McKinley from American Soccer Analysis calculated the odds of Messi scoring at the rate he has, so of an average soccer player scoring at the rate Messi has, I should say that. And the average chances, I believe, were 0.0042% for him to score 10 goals on what I believe is 25 shots. What Messi is doing is insane and is absolutely a messy thing to do. He won this trophy for Inter-Miami. He has changed this team for Inter-Miami. And League's Cup as a whole certainly benefited from his arrival because this tournament was awesome. Yeah, he's having a lovely time. I think just to correct you, Joe, I think you said no team had managed to consistently shut Messi down. I'd argue that PSG did for a couple of years, but uh, <laughs> that's another conversation altogether. He's now yes, won every is. competition he's played in except the Coupe de France, which is a tricky one to win because it's got like 
500 teams in it. Still yeah. hasn't won the League Cup either, although he hasn't played in that one. But I think that's, that's worth noting. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> one day, one day, he will be facing AFC Wimbledon in the League Cup, I'm sure, at some point, Taylor. Wonderful stuff. 30,000 capacity crowd in Nashville. Uh, Reese Witherspoon, Nashville co-owner, bringing out the ball. And NBA superstar Giannis and. Tete- yep. And yep. Just Giannis nailed it. Yeah, it was, nailed honestly, it. that was pretty good. Like, it, was it, that it? you you gave it the hard G, and it, it doesn't have it. It's it's right, Giannis. Yeah. But like ah. overall, Ryan, I'm I'm proud. That was good. I mean, the the atmosphere in this game was incredible. Like, I, I can't, I really can't say enough about how fun this tournament's been. I know it hasn't been the highest profile soccer thing happening because there was a World Cup going on on the other side of the world, and that was an awesome tournament as well. But for year one, like I know we talked about it on, on listener questions, it's not perfect. And there are things that we would all like to see change for next season. But I was skeptical about this being an entertaining product coming into it and whether teams would care or not and what the atmosphere would be. If you go and just watch the Miami celebrations after they win this thing, like I, I think you will, it will be hard not to look back at this somewhat fondly, even as someone who might be a fan of another MLS team. Like there was just so much to like about what this competition brought what Miami brought in this competition, Nashville as well, and, and, and other teams. It was it was just a blast, guys. It really was. A blast indeed. And with uh, with no respite at all, MLS returned on Sunday as well. We had a hell is real derby. We had St. Louis getting six goals against Austin. But uh, Joe, we can talk about that. We have a, I believe we're going to be talking MLS later in the week. Yes. Uh, to discuss that one. Um, yep. So the only thing I want to note quickly, Ryan, is just that Aiden Moore scored a, a banger, and I believed the moon from day one. <laughs> Amo, you and me to the moon, buddy. Like, I, I love it, man. I really love it. Also, he gave a great post-game interview uh, that genuinely was great, and I am very much here for Aiden Morris, the character, becoming a, a better and better player in Major League Soccer as time goes on. Uh, He's looking at the laminator, Joe, as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> it went well for Austin. Uh, no issues for them at all with that, so I, I think it'll go great for Morris, too. I think there's been much made of the the price of tickets whenever Lionel Messi is coming to town. I think DC United's tickets for like their Red Bull game were like $10 and then the Inter-Miami game are like $1,500 or something like that. I feel like there should be some sort of mandatory discount up front if you could answer who is Aiden Morris. Like you show your bona fides, you show that you've been around for a little while and then you get a, a discounted rate for your tickets. Ah, you're in, uh, man. For... You got it. You're a, you're a true one. This exactly. Is exactly. Yeah. That's how I think it should be. Reese Witherspoon doesn't know who Aiden Morris is. I'll say that much. <laughs> how do you know because i know I, i'm not gonna <laughs> lie like the the bitter part of me I, i've really enjoyed little messi in the league i really am enjoying the inter miami team and uh watching them play and i agree with joe like the enthusiasm is there you can see that he's having fun and i don't think that was the case in either of his seasons with psg uh but uh i can't even remember was it two seasons or the one like two. like we all talked about it's going two. to be completely forgotten we can just kind of move on from that the bitter part of me is sort of annoyed by how much enthusiasm there is for just Lionel Messi. And I do have that sort of concern about what will happen if and when he, uh, or when he moves on, I guess. He can't play here indefinitely. But there's just a part of me that's like, oh, you guys are all uh, in attendance for this one game for this one team. Mm. I don't know why it bugs me, but it really does. No, There was a video of of the aforementioned Yanis on the pitch. I think he's like a, he's a co-owner, right, of Nashville. That's, that would mean why he's there. And his brother, I believe. They're both co-owners. But anyway, he, he, uh, he's having a kickabout in the pitch and he scores a goal and then he throws out the, the, the Cristiano Ronaldo Sue celebration and I'm like, he knows, right? He, he knows who he's here to watch and the fact that there was a little bit of doubt in my mind <laughs> kind of tells you a, a, a little bit about what the situation is like in MLS but ha- I agree with Joe it has yeah. been it has been a lot of fun it's and- been great to see packed out stadiums I personally enjoyed Philly booing Messi like that I don't think <laughs> there's silly, any malice man. in they boo I don't Santa think there's Claus. any malice in, yeah I, like, I don't think there's any malice in it I think it's I, I enjoy it from the sense of like you're in our house now and we're here to support our team yep and you might be the best player in the world but nothing's going to change that so I'm hopeful that once we kind of get across MLS and we get Messi to other stadiums that we'll, we'll start to see more of that atmosphere rather than the kind of fanboying and fangirling that we've, we've yeah. seen so far and I it's right Philly. i really do they really do boo everybody including their own teams uh graham <laughs> to the ronaldo celebration point it occurs to me like there aren't that many like notable celebrations like i feel like in basketball if you hit the fadeaway you're gonna say like kobe still uh mm. but i feel like you don't get as many like there's the sioux I don't know what else there is. There's just like the kind of jump fist bump, but that's like fairly generic. Yeah. I can't uh, think of any on. like 
Taylor, there's Robbie Keane cartwheel. There's Alan Shearer fist in the air. There's, yeah. there's yes, these very recent. Is I guess my point. <laughs> yeah. yes. Once Obafemi Martins retired, you know the the iconic <laughs> celebration that everyone did in pickup soccer was was out the window. Indeed. Well, classic Yanis, classic that guy doing that thing. Ryan, I did the same thing. Like, he, he's like legitimately one of the best basketball players in the world. Even I know who he is, Ryan Bailey. Surely you've, surely you've heard of him. Oh, yeah, him. but if, if you you've can't... only seen it written, uh, I did the same thing when we had NBA copy in our in our ad reads, and I kept calling him Giannis and talking about how like how much fun he is. And I think somebody pointed out, like, he is very fun. You're saying his name wrong. So yeah, that, was, that I... was a good lesson learned. I'll say a quick anecdote for the end of the pod. One of the hardest gigs I ever did was commentating with Stu Holden on a Steve Nash Chinatown charity game with like Thierry Henry and all these kind of really cool players in it. Uh, and a lot of the players were basketball players in this game. I'd literally never heard of a single one of them. I had loads of notes, like a, <laughs> like a professional commentator almost, with like their details and what they... Because I didn't really even know what they looked like, the, the, the basketball players as well. That was hard. And I think I might have got a couple of names wrong there as well. Were you invited back? Or was that a one and done? <laughs> it was a one and done, funnily enough. I didn't get invited back for the, for the next year. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, Now you've made me realise why. I've just made the connection. Thank you very <laughs> Nailed much. Nailed it. Graham. Yeah, there we go. All right, we have Weekend Review. Thank you very much, Taylor Rockwell, for your contributions, sir. Thank you, my friend. Uh, Joe Lowry, a pleasure as always, my good man. Right back at you, Ryan. Yep, and Graham Rutherford, a pleasure <laughs> as always. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan Bailey. I think Joe might be frozen. Otherwise, he's just been very rude. Hang on, Joe, uh, Graham, just do the just do the impression to fill in. Uh, J- Graham, uh, Joe Lowry, a pleasure as always. Thanks, Ryan Bailey. I'm Joe Lowry. <laughs> there it is. All right, listener, thank you for joining us. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.